Today is Thursday, March 3rd. The title for our devotional is Unity and Truth, Part 2. Yesterday we started reading through a larger section of 2 Timothy to see how Paul addressed the conflict of truth that Timothy was addressing at Ephesus. Yesterday we saw his emphasis on identity, integrity, and truth. Let's read the next section and we'll make a few more comments after that. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 4, 5. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them, from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As we did yesterday, I'll just make a few brief comments on the themes of the text that we should be seeing here and how they apply to us being a life-changing community in the context of truth. First is character. Through Timothy's experience with Paul, he has seen Paul's character on display throughout his persecutions and sufferings. He also witnessed the Lord's rescue of him. He mentions his teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness. These are fruit to the Spirit in his life, and Timothy would do well to remember them, while many others are abandoning Paul in his teaching and claiming that Paul is a heretic, or that something must be wrong with his teaching and his way of life because he's imprisoned so much. Look at all the bad things that are happening to him, they're saying. In verse 14, he says, Knowing from him whom you have learned the faith. This is likely a reference to Paul himself and Timothy's mother and grandmother who he mentions elsewhere in the book of 2 Timothy, as handing the faith down to Timothy. As we said yesterday, character and truth are linked. Ask anyone who came to faith in a church where the pastor later had a serious moral failing. This often leads to deconstruction to some degree. We'll talk more on this tomorrow. Secondly, truth is found in Scripture. Timothy has been made familiar with, quote, the sacred writings, as Paul says in 3.14. As we saw earlier this week, Jesus is the embodied truth. So the texts which tell us about him, the Gospels and the New Testament epistles and all the New Testament, are our source for truth. How would we know anything about Jesus if it weren't for scripture? Paul certainly has in mind here the Old Testament scriptures as well, which point us to Jesus as the Messiah, the long-awaited Redeemer of Israel. Again, we would know nothing about the Messiah 
and the Christ if it weren't for the Old Testament scriptures. He may also have in mind the New Testament since he's writing this toward the end of his life and there was by this time an understanding that the writings of the apostles were scripture. You can see 2 Peter 3.16 where Peter refers to Paul's writings as other scriptures. Thirdly, the uses of scripture. It's helpful to note the ways in which scripture is to be used that Paul references here. First, Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is breathed out by God. The word for breathed out is the same word for spirit. So Paul is alluding to the inspiration of scripture here. The Holy Spirit superintended the writings of scripture so that the authors wrote down what God wanted to communicate to his people. Scripture then is God's revelation of himself to us, not our human understanding of God. Therefore, scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, he says. All of this is so that the man of God, remember he's speaking to Timothy here, will be complete, equipped for every good work. That is, mature in their spiritual formation. That means scripture is to challenge our thinking and our behavior. If we find we believe something contrary to scripture, we conform our thinking to the truth of scripture, not the other way around. When we find our behavior does not align with what scripture says is right, we conform our behavior to the truth of scripture. We hold our lives and our thinking up to the scrutinizing light of scripture. In this vein, Paul charges Timothy to preach the word and to reprove, rebuke, and exhort from scripture with all patience and teaching. Scripture, therefore, is our source of truth. We must read scripture against ourselves, not for ourselves. We need to be extra cautious of believing anything that we want to believe. You are not immune from the itching ears problem that Paul mentions here. Today, we often choose what we want to believe, then find evidence to support it. The greater access to information that we possess today has only exacerbated this problem, and as John said a few weeks ago, led to greater confusion. For additional content, I wanted to read a couple of quotes, one from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who witnessed the fall of the German church to the Nazi propaganda. He wrote, Has it not become terrifyingly clear again and again in everything that we have said here to one another that we are no longer obedient to the Bible? We are more fond of our own thoughts than of the thoughts of the Bible. We no longer read the Bible seriously. We no longer read it against ourselves, but for ourselves. Secondly, uh, when Martin Luther was called to recant his beliefs at the Diet of Worms, that's not a plate full of worms to eat, it's a, it was a meeting to hear his teaching and deem him heretical or allow him to recant. He responded by saying that he would happily recant all of, all of it if he could be shown in scripture where he had erred. The Roman church, steeped in scholasticism of the day, and the belief in papal inerrancy and the inerrancy of the church councils, did not even try to prove from scripture the truth of their claims. So Martin Luther ended the, the meeting with these words, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive, is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, amen. Those were two very important moments in church history where in each instance the church had strayed from biblical authority and holding itself accountable to the word of God. Those should serve as warnings for us to be sure that we are, as Bonhoeffer says, reading scripture against ourselves 
not for ourselves. Thank you.